You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. If you have your Bibles this morning, look with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. As we continue our Christmas series, uh, we've titled Fear Not today, we want to talk again about the challenge, the challenge of fear. As you look to each of the different Christmas narratives as recorded in both Matthew, specifically in Luke, there's angels who are bringing the announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary, to the shepherds, and Zachariah and Elizabeth, if you're reading the Gospel of Luke. And then we have Joseph. And it's interesting that each time an angel shows up, uh, whether physically or in a dream, as we're going to see with Joseph, each time an angel shows up to bring the announcement of the birth of our Savior, there's this recurring phrase. What's the recurring phrase? Can you say it with me? Fear not. Why do you think they would say fear not? They were scared. I think that's probably true. I know I would be a bit frightened. Um, I, I believe, though, beyond that, beyond being frightened, beyond being kind of taken back a bit, I believe the angels knew this. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, but let me bring it back again this morning. The angels knew that if fear was not addressed, if the fear factor was not addressed, then these individuals who were being invited into God's redemption story might not participate. Because here's the challenge of fear. It was the challenge for Joseph and Mary and the shepherds, and I believe it's the same challenge for us today. Fear, if not confronted in our lives, can become a limiting factor. Fear can have us retreating running from God rather than running to God. Or you might say it like this, fear can have you and I saying no when God's saying go. Right? Because there's, there's this fear that can paralyze us, that can keep us from responding in faith. And that's why I believe fear is such a, a big deal, why the angels would make like these fear-not declarations to the participants, because they wanted to make sure that fear would not keep them from missing it, from missing what God, God was doing. It was an old story, maybe more of a fable than a story of, a, of an old farmer. Hot July day, he's sitting on his front porch smoking his pipe, and a stranger comes by and, and tries to strike up a conversation with the farmer. And so he says to the farmer, he says, Hey, um, how's the cotton crop doing? And the farmer says, um, Didn't plant any. I was afraid of the, of the boll weevil. The stranger, again, trying to get something going, a little conversation, says, well, how's the corn crop? And the farmer said, didn't plant any of that either. He said, I was afraid of the drought. He says, well, what about potatoes? How's the potato crop? And the farmer said, didn't plant any of those either. I was afraid of the tater bug. And the stranger said, well, then, you're a farmer. What did you plant? And the farmer said, I didn't plant anything. I just played it safe. And I think that's the danger of fear, my friends. The danger of fear is it can have you going through life just playing it safe. When God's called you to something much greater. When God's called you to a greater assignment, to a greater opportunity. And oftentimes, if there's this fear that's not confronted, then what do we do? We just play it safe. We just hang out in our comfort zone. Yet God's calling us to something greater because he has a a greater plan for our lives. And that's the challenge of fear. 
Fear becomes, that, again, that limiting factor. But today as we look at Joseph's story, we want to talk about a specific fear. So we want to move from fear in general to a specific fear. And what we want to talk about today is the fear of what others think. The fear of the opinions of others. The fear of will they like me. Any of you challenged with that, the fear of others? Everybody who didn't raise their hand, you're afraid of what others are going to think. That's why you didn't raise your hand. Come on. I happen to believe because we're all humans, right? We're all created beings. I happen to believe to some degree, maybe some more than others, but to some degree, every one of us in the room today struggle with what others think about us. The opinions of others will have uh, potentially a limiting factor in your life. And so as we look at Joseph's story, we want to talk about that. I mean, here's Joseph, a young man. What we know from Scripture is he was a carpenter by trade, a young man who's betrothed to Mary, um, making plans for the wedding, making plans for the rest of their lives, when all of a sudden an angel appears to him in a dream and tells him that that Mary's pregnant. Um, now, from our perspective, looking at looking back at the story, we think, wow, this is a great opportunity. I mean, think about it. Joseph was going to get to be the stepdad or the or the earthly father, if you will, of the Messiah, of the son of God. I mean, of all of the Jewish young men, Joseph was the one who was invited into this this miraculous opportunity of what God was doing. Sounds pretty exciting. But but for Joseph. But for Joseph to embrace this opportunity, I believe he had to confront the fear of what others would think. He had to move beyond the questions and the whispering conversations that would happen as, as he and Mary would walk down the street. What I know, because I know people, and people then were a lot like people today, is there would have been some judgments cast. You know, oftentimes we read these Christmas stories and we separate ourselves from the story. But again, think about the reality of the situation. I mean, here's a young man. Joseph was maybe 16, 17. Here's a young teenage girl. Mary was maybe 14 to 16, somewhere in that. And she's pregnant. And they're betrothed, but they've not come together yet. Now, as I said a couple of weeks ago, the state of betrothal was, um, it was much more binding than our present day engagement. Matter of fact, if a couple was betrothed in marriage, that, that meant they were married yet they were not living together yet as husband and wife. Matter of fact, this betrothal, this state of betrothal was so binding that if one, either the man or the woman, died in the state of betrothal, the, the, uh, the other would be considered a widow or a widower. The only way you could get out of a state of betrothal was either divorce or death. It was very binding. And so here they are in this state of betrothal. Mary's pregnant. What do you think other folks might have been saying? Come on. Think about it. Think about what happens in your own neighborhood. Any rumors pass around in your neighborhood? How about this? Any rumors pass around in Grace Covenant Church? I could tell you a few. Some of them even about me. Some of them about you. You'd be surprised what they're saying about you. (laughs) 
judgments. I, see, I think all of this would have been happening. We, and we read this story and we think, wow, this is miraculous. This is awesome. And it was. But in the reality of what was happening, I think Joseph was having to deal with, and what are people going to think? What are people going to say? How are they going to respond? Again, fear of what others think, if not confronted, it will become a limiting factor. Matter of fact, this is what will happen. You'll find yourself becoming so concerned about what others think. When God says move, you won't move. When God says act, you won't act. Why? Because you're valuing the opinion of others more than you are that of obedience to God. So this is what I know. You can live your life to please man or you can live your life to please God, but you can't do both. And that's the challenge. So here's the question. Are you going to live your life to please man? Are you going to live your life to please God? Are you going to live your life for the temporary? Because pleasing man is really about the temporary, isn't it? Are you going to live your life to please God, which I believe is really, really about the eternal? Well, Let's read this story this morning as recorded by Matthew about Joseph and what God was inviting him into. And, and really look at it this morning from I wonder what others might have said, what others might have been thinking. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. In other words, it was miraculous. It was supernatural. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In other words, get this, Joseph already had his plan. He had already thought this through. And he knew that he wasn't the father of this child that Mary was carrying. And so it was his plan. His plan was to exit. His plan was to let Mary kind of figure this out on her her own. And he was going to go on his own way. Kind of try to start over. I mean, that was his plan. But notice verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here's Joseph. All of a sudden, he's awakened with this dream. An angel appears to him and like his normal life and his and his future plans have, been, have just been challenged. And at this point, he has to decide, am I going to do what's right or am I going to do what's easy? Often, I'd be confronted with that on a daily basis. I'm going to do what's right or am I going to do what's easy? I'm going to do what I want to do and what's going to please others. Am I going to do what's right and please God? I mean, that's where Joseph finds himself. At this point, he's betrothed to Mary and Mary's pregnant. I mean, can you imagine how that conversation might have went? Because at this point, as we come to read this story, Joseph is already aware that Mary's pregnant. And he, as I said, he has this plan of how he's going to exit this relationship. I mean, can you imagine Mary coming to Joseph and trying to explain this? Like, hey, Joey, honey bunches. 
I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it's by the Holy Spirit. Okay, think about Joseph. Like, how long did it take for you to come up to come up with that line, right? Like, I've heard everything else before. Don't give me that Holy Spirit stuff. I saw that guy at the well checking you out. Again, bring this into real life. I mean, here's Joseph. Struggling with the reality of what's happened. Mary's pregnant. And up to this point in history, folks, there was only one way that people got pregnant. And Joseph knew he wasn't the man. So either Mary has been unfaithful uh, or she's a liar. So again, think about Joseph. I mean, if you factor out that God did this, which is a bit hard to believe. Again, think about Joseph. I mean, he could only come to one of two conclusions. Either Mary's crazy or she's a liar. And I don't want to be married to a woman that's crazy or a woman that's... I don't want to spend the rest of my life with a woman that I can't trust or a woman that's crazy. So he's already made his plan and his plan is to exit, to go again, to go to go his his own way. He's pondering this whole thing like, what might this mean? Again, he was a carpenter. I mean, could like people begin to quit bringing their business to him? I mean, again, she's pregnant. You know, obviously, it, I mean, people would have just come to that conclusion, right? Yeah, you know, we saw his mule over there at 2 a.m. And obviously they weren't having a Bible study. Something was going on and now she's pregnant. What would people say when he went to the marketplace? That's where he would have sold his goods. What conversations would have been happening as he's walking by? Yeah, I think, I think Joseph is, is pondering all that. That's why he's, he's planning on bailing on the relationship when, when God sends this angel and kind of tells him the rest of the story. And, and Joseph had to come to a point of decision, and I believe this was the point of decision he came to, is that he was going to live his life to please God, not please man. He was going to do what was right no matter what anyone else said. And it was that that opened the way for the miraculous that God was doing. And it was that that opened the way for Joseph to be a part of this whole redemption story. Yeah, I believe the same The same's going to happen for all of us in the room today. Actually, tomorrow, when you go to work, when you go to school, you're going to be confronted with a situation. Is I'm not, you're going to be confronted with a situation like, am I going to do what... What's okay with others, or am I going to stand for my conviction? Am I going to do that which others are going to applaud, or am I going to do that which God has directed me to do? And like Joseph, I think every day we're dealing with with this reality. Are we going to allow the fear of what others think of us to keep us from doing what God's called us to do, or being what God's called us to be? It's the everyday living out of our faith life. And what I've discovered is that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Now, Matt, you can count on it. If you determine, hey, I'm going to live my life to please God, then there's going to be some folks who are disappointed. Maybe some family members. Maybe some peers at work. Maybe some of your friends at school. Yeah, I think, I think when Joseph said, I'm going to honor God, I'm going to take Mary as my wife, even though... The child she's carrying is not mine. I think there were some folks who were probably disappointed with Joseph. 
Because they didn't understand the rest of the story. And even when they heard it, like, right. Because that's what you would have said. This Holy Spirit thing, like, yeah, that, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Now, I think I think there was individuals who were disappointed. And this is what I can tell you today. When you live your life to please God, uh, others will be disappointed with, with you and the decision you made. And you're going to have to determine, am I going to live my life to please God? Am I going to live my life to please others? And this is one of the things I've come to discover in life, is you cannot please everyone all the time. It's not possible. My I experience this every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday. I have conversations every Sunday with wonderful people like you. It's too hot. Pastor, it's too hot in there. Oh, it's too cold in there. It's freezing to death. Oh, the music was too loud. The music was not loud enough. Oh, that's, that singing, it went on way too long. Well, the singing, there was not enough songs today, Pastor. What's the problem? Oh, the sermon was, was too short. The sermon was too long. What matter? I've never heard anyone say the sermon was too short. But I, I mean, all the time. One of the things I've come to discover is as wonderful as all of you are, I cannot please everyone all the time. But this is what I've come to discover. I can please God all the time. So you're going to have to determine, are you going to live your life for God? Are you going to live your life for others? If you live your life for others, man, you're going to so miss out on what God has for you. You're going to live your life so far below what God has for you. Listen, becoming obsessed with what people think think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. But if you flip that coin... If you turn to the other side of that, becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. So we want to live our lives obsessed with what God thinks about us. We live our lives for, for an audience, an audience of one. And what we learn from Joseph's story is that, that choosing to please God was the right way, but it's not always the easy way. You're probably going to disappoint some folks. Not only are you going to disappoint some, disappoint some folks, but the second thing I've come to discover is when you live your life to please God, others are probably going to criticize you. In other words, you're going to get a few rocks thrown at you. You might get called a few names. You might get avoided or you might not be invited to all that's happening. What? This criticism that happens. Again, we don't have all of the details of this story, but again, just kind of put yourself into the reality of human thinking and the reality of how relationships play out. How many of you think that Joseph and Mary were probably criticized at the market, going down the street, in their own family? I think there were some harmful, hurtful words said. Again, I can't prove that from Scripture because the Scripture doesn't tell us the whole story. But again, just knowing humanity. I think they, they were criticized. Why? Because they chose to honor God rather than living their lives for the approval or the, or the praise of others. I think they were some shots some shots that they took. And, and what, I, what I'm convinced of is pro- the same thing's going to happen in your life. Listen, when you, when you say, I'm going to take a stand for God, I'm going to live my life to please God, then there's going to be others who's going to criticize you. Yeah, maybe you say, well, I, 
mean, you're a teenager in your college years, and you say, yeah, I'm not going to do that party thing anymore. I'm going to get serious about living my life for Jesus. Listen, that's the right statement. That's the right choice. But when you make that choice, you know what some of your partying friends are going to say? They're going to call you things like a religious freak. Like, what's wrong with you? You Bible thumper, right? Or maybe you, maybe you say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to go on to the beach for spring break. There's this mission opportunity where I can go serve the poor. And, and your friends are going to say, like, why would you do that? I mean, that's, that sounds so boring. Why would you go serve the poor? But you're going to take some shots. Or, or maybe, maybe you're in a position where you would choose to leave a higher paying job to go to a lower paying job because God's calling you to a point of doing something different that would really make a difference in the world or difference in people's lives more than just making money. And your friends are like, why would you do that? Why would you, t- why would you go to a job that pays less? Like that makes no sense. You are absolutely crazy. You know, take some shots. Or maybe you would stay at the job you have and you would say, hey, I'm going to live below my means so I have extra left over so I can live my life in a radical, generous way. So you're going to drive a car that's less than what you could drive. You're going to live in a house that's less than what you could live in. And your friends are saying, what is wrong with you? Don't you know it's all about you? You're going to take some shots. Why? Because you've chosen to follow God's direction, whatever that would look like in your life. Listen, this is what I know. When you choose to take a stand for Jesus and you choose to live your life for Him, rather than living your life for the opinions of others, you're going to take some shots. Matter of fact, this is what I believe. I believe that the more you determine to live your life for Jesus, the more you determine to live your life to please Him, the more difficult life's going to be. And see, I think we have this idea, you know, if I live for Jesus, everything's going to be easy and great and wonderful. And I would say probably not so. In your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, when you choose to live your life to honor God, I don't think it's going to get easier. I think it actually becomes more challenging. Why? Because when you live different than our culture and you live your life for Christ, people... And they get critical. Listen, if you want an easy life where there's no pressure and there's no stress, let me tell you how to do that. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. Don't stand for anything. Just live your life for you. Have a miserable existence. And life will be like, you know, just flowing down the stream, right? Going with the flow. You determine you're going to take a stand. Listen, hear me. As it was true for Joseph. So it'll be true for you. Others are going to be critical. They're going to make statements that hurt. But again, are you going to live your life to please God or are you going to live your life to please man? So it's, who knows what God might choose to do when you take a stand? In your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. See, I believe that extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Great things start when when we're willing to take the first step. I mean, think about this. Think about this. The miracle of the Christmas story, the miracle of the redemption of mankind happened when two teenage kids simply said yes to God. 
Isn't that crazy? Two teenage kids said, God, we're in. And God brought about redemption of mankind. I mean, if last week we looked at Mary's response as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Mary says, May it be unto me, even as you have said. Here I am. I'm your servant. In other words, I'm in. And here in Matthew, we have Joseph's response. Notice what Joseph said in in verse 24, when jo- what the scripture says about Joseph in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home and his wife. It was, just simp- it was a simple act of, of obedience to God's direction that opened the way for the miracle, the extraordinary of, of what God was doing. See, as Joseph, as Joseph chose obedience to God over fear of man, he became a part of of the salvation story. Again, try to get into the mind of Joseph and Mary. An angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And then leaves. Not a lot of detail here. Right? How many of you think Joseph and Mary would have liked a little more information? Like, how are we going to raise him? How are we going to discipline the Son of God? You thought about that? <laughs> or like, how, might He discipline us? I mean, it, it's simply that. There's not a lot of detail here. There's not a lot of, of extras. I mean, God sends an angel. He says, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And then He leaves. And Mary and Joseph have a decision to make. Are we going to obey? Are we going to move beyond the fear of what others might say or the fear of what others think, the opinions of people, to be a part of this miracle that God's doing? Yeah, I happen to believe that we don't have to have all of the answers to take the first step of obedience. Matter of fact, what I've come to discover in my own life, and I see it pretty consistent throughout Scripture, is God doesn't give us the whole plan. Any, anyone in the room beside me like the whole plan. I like the whole plan, outline form, step by step. But it's like God never gives it that way. He didn't to Mary and Joseph, and he's probably not going to give it to you in that way. But he brings an invitation, and he invites you to step into it. It's called faith. And as you take that first step of obedience, then God says, okay, here's a little more of the plan. And you take that step, and you take the next step, moving beyond the fear of man, living your life to please God. And as you take that step of obedience, then what? God begins to do the extraordinary, out of the ordinary of your life. As I said a couple weeks ago, outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is your responsibility. In other words, Let God take care of the God part, and he will. What's your part? Obedience. To take that that first step. And again, oftentimes there's this fear, and the fear is, well, what are others going to think? What are are others going to think if I am bold enough to stand for my faith in the workplace? What are others going to think if I don't go to that event because I know what's going to happen at that event? 
Hey, it's, it's those simple acts of obedience that, that really opens the way for God to do what, what God wants to do, his work of redemption in people's lives. It's, it's kind of like, what if you were to take this, this Christmas celebration invite card and a simple act of obedience and pass it off to a family member or a friend? And you were, you were to be the one who would be the, temp- the tipping point in their life. And the simple act of obedience of taking a card and making an invitation, they show up Christmas Eve, come to embrace Christ as their Savior. Who knows? Generations might be changed. When does it, what does it start with? It starts with a simple act of obedience. And what, what I've come to see is that God invites us into the miraculous, but for, for us to experience that, his ongoing work of redemption in our world, it requires what are simple acts of obedience. Like Joseph, like Mary. Moving beyond the fear of what others might say and beyond the fear of what others might think to open the way for God to do the miraculous in and through their lives. Folks, what we never want to forget is that we always give our best to what we value most. Not what we value less, but what we value most. It's there that we get, it's there that we make our greatest investment. It's there that we give our best. If you value what people think of you, you'll live for them. If you value, if you value God, then you'll live for God. And as you live for God and live to please God instead of living to please man, you'll get to see God do some awesome work, some awesome stuff in your life. Why? Because you value what God thinks more than what Man thinks. And in that, then you begin to open the way for God to work in and through your life. But you're moving beyond that fear of the opinions of others. To say, God, bring your greatness. Bring your greatness in my life. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you today again for... For this story recorded for us, Lord, as we begin to look at it from the real life side, well, God, there was obviously some fear that Joseph had to move beyond. The fear of the opinions of others, the fear of what might, what might be said at the marketplace, the fear of what might happen in his carpenter's shop. Because as this thing played out, God, obviously it, it appeared as if there was a point of unfaithfulness on somebody's part. What we see in this story is, is Joseph did not allow the fear of the opinions of others, the fear of what others thought, to keep him from, God, what you were inviting him into. He moved beyond that. Although that would be my prayer for myself and everyone here today, is that we would be able to move beyond the fear of the opinions of others. And Father, that we would really be able to live our lives for the audience of one. With every head bowed and eye closed, as you take a moment today and you're praying, there may be a lot of you, like, like I do, that, that struggle with thoughts like, what, what are others going to think? Am I going to fit in? Do I measure up? Are they going to like me? If I do this, what, what are people going to think? And today you would want to like move beyond that fear 
that fear of others, the fear of what others would think, that it would not be a limiting factor in your life, that it would not keep you from what God would have for you. If you're here today and you just say, hey, I want to move beyond that fear of the opinions of others, that I might truly live out God's plan, God's will, that I might live my life to bring honor to Him instead of living my life just to please others. If you're here today and you struggle with that, you struggle with the ongoing fear of what others think, I want to pray for you right now is that there would be a fresh courage in your life. That you would be able to move beyond that fear, that limiting factor to say, no, I'm living my life, God, for you and for your will and your plan. Is there anyone hand raised would just say, hey, that's me. I struggle consistently with, with the fear of others, the fear of the opinion of others. Will they like me? Will I fit in? Lord, I pray today for individuals in the balcony on the main floor, individuals watching Grace Online who are honest enough to say, yeah, this is a fear in my life. I've always had this fear of not measuring up and wanting to please others and wanting to be liked. And Lord, in that, they have become enslaved to that. That fear in their lives has become a limiting factor that's kept them, God, from the fullness of the plans and the potential, the purpose that you have for them. God, I pray today that that fear would no longer rule in their lives, that they would know, God, that they're fully loved, fully accepted, fully approved by You. And Lord, that they would be able to move beyond that fear or to embrace. And whatever the assignment would be, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Lord, that, that pleasing You and honoring You would be that they would have greater weight, greater value in their lives than living their lives to please others. And Lord, in that, what I know is then there's going to be this, these ordinary acts of obedience that opens their lives to extraordinary acts on your part. So Lord, I thank you today. I thank you today for the reality of a Savior that came to address the fears of our lives so that we can live with hope and joy and We celebrate that this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.